0: Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can pray to you and that you're alive. We're not praying to a figure. We're not praying to an object. uh, We're not praying out into thin air, but we're praying to a person who is very much alive. And so today we pray as we open up the scriptures uh, that describe you as the word that uh, our hearts and minds would receive from your Holy Spirit. That we would see and hear that which you have purposed for us to see and hear, Lord God. I pray that you would fill my mouth with your words, not mine. And that all of us would walk out of this building today, having said we have heard from and been touched by the Holy Spirit. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We are going to conclude today what in essence has been a three-part series uh, and it's not always the case, but I think in this case it's it's very important that you would have heard all three. It's not necessary, but it's very important to put all three together. Uh, and so, as I said last week, uh, these messages are still available on the Facebook. They're still available on our YouTube channel. They're also available on the iTunes podcast to go back and get them. Two Sundays ago, we talked about God's wrath. Everybody got excited about that one. <laughs> God's wrath and the human condition. And, uh, we, you know, we, we definitely ended on a positive note, but we had to look at, at the reality of the wrath of God toward humanity. Last Sunday, it's interesting, James, uh, brought this up. Last Sunday, we talked about Christ, our Passover lamb. And, uh, Uh, And then today, we're going to talk about the victory, the vindication, and the power of Jesus' resurrection. Quick review, and that is the wrath of God requires someone to satisfy God's holy justice. We dealt with that the first week. Um, We talked about the fact that God's justice demands sinners be punished. And you say, well, he's a mean old God. Well, go back and listen to the message. I don't think you'll think that. I don't think that. Um, and then we, we got into last Sunday that we needed someone. There needed to be someone to absorb the wrath that was intended for the human race. It couldn't just go away. It couldn't be ignored. It couldn't be like uh, modern day parents. Oh, you didn't mean it. I'll pretend it didn't happen. No, it was. It had to be. Something had to be done. So we needed someone to absorb that wrath, and so Jesus became our Passover Lamb to fulfill God's righteous requirements. It's a. It's a total. It's a total package. It's a total story, and all three messages bring a truth that is necessary to see the full gospel of what it is. If you just. If you, some people. Overemphasize the wrath of God. And you you wind up, I said before, the people that do that usually yell a lot. Uh, But (laughs) overemphasize that wrath of God. Some groups overemphasize the mercy of God and the grace of God. And, you know, Romans tells us, behold the goodness and the severity of God. If you see God as he is, you'll see him in, to- in the totality of his person. So today we're going to talk about the victory, the vindication, and the power of the resurrection of Christ. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 2. If you would turn in your Bibles or your tablets or your phones or maybe your memories. I can't do that. But anyway, uh, Acts chapter 2. And if you would stand while we read the word of God. I'm reading from the English Standard Version and we're gonna, we're gonna jump into the middle of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but we jump in the middle at verse 22 and he says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. That's a great that's a great uh, uh, addendum I guess. you killed him, but God raised him up. Uh, and just let me pause here just for a second. I think it was William Barclay that wrote, when you look at the cross, you see what men thought of Christ. But when you look at the empty tomb, you see what God thought of Christ, God the Father. Ah, we will continue. Uh, verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible, not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your holy one see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. And then Peter, he's quoting the Psalms, by the way. Then he starts, he says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence About the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. How about that? You look in the Psalms, and you find the resurrection of Christ. Uh, And that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. And, And Peter repeats himself, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. And he was really a witness. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens... But he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. You could be seated. One of my nightmares is that I wake up one day and God has added 3,000 souls. (laughs) What in the world? Thank God that uh, we're not the only church in Mount Juliet or Middle Tennessee. And uh, we don't have to do it all. Verse 24 in the New Living Translation says, God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grip. And that's what we celebrate today. We celebrate the resurrection of Christ. But there would be no resurrection of Christ if there was not a cross. We're not going to redo last week's message, but I want to say, behold the lamb on the cross. I want us to, for a moment, to just get a picture in our mind. And I didn't give you a picture. I, I, sometimes I think people overdo it trying to show you how, you know, the bloody mess that Jesus was when he was crucified. I, I mean, it's good. We need to see that, but uh, sometimes it can be overdone. But just think about Jesus hanging on the cross, understanding this, that often when we see a picture, or we see Jesus on the cross, we see, rightfully so, we see the love of God. We see the display of God's love. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. He didn't send his son uh, to teach us to play tiddlywinks. He didn't even teach, send his son just to show us how to behave, although that's part of it. But he sent his son as a The old gospel song says, it used to say, born to die. He was born for the purpose of dying. It's not just God's love on display, though. When we see the cross, we see what God thinks about sin, how God feels about sin. We see the distance that God goes to take care of sin, the price that he paid To remove from us the effects of sin. We see Jesus hanging on the cross and in that moment when He becomes sin, in that moment when the, the, uh, the, He becomes the very embodiment of the sin of humanity, in that moment God the Father cannot, not that He does, He will not, at that moment God the Father cannot look upon the Son because he has become sin. And Jesus cries out, "What, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It doesn't take a, a theologian to d- learn at that moment that Jesus had been forsaken by his father. If Jesus had not been forsaken by his father, you would have been. He took that place. We see the soldiers at the foot of the cross casting lots for his clothing. Casting lots, rolling the dice in our world for his clothing, not knowing. These guys had not read Psalms, but not knowing that they fulfilled Psalm twenty-two eighteen to a T to exactly what, what Psalms prophesied. We see Jesus hanging on the cross, and at some point, he says, it is finished. We talked a little bit about this last week. It is finished is not something has come to an end. In many ways, this really means something has begun. It is finished is to be completed, not ended. And we talked about the fact that the work that Jesus did on the cross, the work that he had completed was something that was done in the past, but still continued working into the future. We still today are living in the work that Jesus did when he said it is finished. And then it's already been alluded to today that he was our Passover lamb. At some point during this process, the Jews went to Pilate and they said, uh, would you, we need you to take these three guys and break their legs because understand that when you were crucified and you were on that cross, you still have the ability to raise yourself up and allow breath in your lungs. But if you had no ability to raise yourself up, you would die quickly. And so that's what they would do. They sent the The soldiers to the to the crosses and they went to one thief and they broke his legs. And they went to the other thief and they broke his legs so that both of them could die quickly. The good news is one of them was going one way and the other one was going another. When they got to Jesus, well, I think I have it on the screen. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. They didn't know that. Psalm 3420 says he keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. At that moment, someone took a spear and stabbed him in the side. The Bible says blood and water came out. And I've read many different physiological ideas about this. One of the more common ones is that because of the nature of how he bled and the water and the blood mixed, that he literally died of a broken heart. He was already dead when he, when he should not have been. But the stress... Think about, we can't even comprehend, but think about you're sinless. You're the sinless son of God. And yet in that moment, you, you didn't just take on the sin of the world. You became that sin. No human body can handle that. Why was that important that his legs not be broken? Go back to the Passover meal. Not only was the lamb supposed to be perfect, not only was the lamb supposed to be without blemish, it was very specific in Exodus 12, we read these words, you shall not break any of its bones. So neither was our Passover lamb, neither did our Passover lamb have any bones broken. Do you think God knows what he's doing? Colossians tells us this, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive. You, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us. all. everybody say all. All. See, some people think God can forgive this and he can forgive that, but he could never forgive that. Now, you, you've done that. Don't, don't act. I'm, I'm if I had you raise your hand, a lot of you would be raising your hand right now. Because you think there's one thing that God could never forgive that you've done. Oh, he could never forgive that. He said, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And here's how he did that. By canceling the record of debt stood against us with legal demands. This is this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He canceled the record, the writ, the written document in that day. If you were, let's say you were convicted of murder, they would write the conviction of murder on a document, on a parchment, and they would nail that to the cross so that anybody who walked by could see, okay, that's why they died. And that's why they died. Okay, there's... Oh, yeah, I see what they did. That's what they did. That's why they died. And in the, in the heavenly realm, somehow God nailed the written document against you to that cross. So now when you walk by and you see Jesus hanging on the cross... And you look at that document. Excuse me, Charlie. Ch- Charlie Brett's sin. Johnny Morris' sin. It's on that document. What does that mean? They don't, they don't have to pay that penalty. It's already been paid. And that goes for every one of you under the sound of my voice. Canceled. Everybody say canceled. canceled. It didn't just pretend it's not there. It was canceled. Because of him on the cross. Of course we know that a few days later. Jesus is risen from the dead. He's vindicated by the father. First Timothy we're not going to turn first Timothy 316 tells us that he was vindicated by the Holy Spirit. It says that he was seen by angels. Seen by angels. He was, when he was seen by the angels, he was displayed in victory. I'm not going to go into the whole thing of, of the uh, Jesus getting trophies and parading and all that stuff. Just suffice it to say that Jesus was displayed in victory before all the heavenly host. The angels saw him as a victor after he died and was resurrected. To be vindicated is a word. That means to show to be righteous or to render innocent. Jesus, by the Father, through the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was rendered innocent. You say, well, He was already innocent. He wasn't when He was uh, carrying your sin. He wasn't when He was paying the price, your debt of sin. Render innocent. Why would Jesus, why would Jesus, sinless son of God, sinless son of man, he who knew no sin, the Bible says, became sin? Why would he need to be vindicated? Because he's, I mean, he's God. Well, he bore the penalty of sin. He bore the penalty of sin for you and for me and for all humanity. When he went into the tomb, He carried with he carried all everybody say all. all say it like you mean it all. He carried all the sin, all the ugliness, all the sickness, all the bondage that we would suffer and the death that can be produced by sinful mankind. He carried all of that into the tomb as a dead man. In other words, the condition of mankind became the condition of Jesus. He bore the shame that we, that we would concur. He bore the sin. He became the object of God's wrath. Not because God was mad at him. As a matter of fact, we see in Isaiah that it says that he was pleased to crush him, not pleased in the sense that it gave him joy, but pleased in the sense of what the end result would be. He became the object of wrath. Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, disrespecting or disesteeming the shame. Jesus knew that he was walking into the hall of shame, your hall of shame. He knew that there was shame involved in this process, but he knew what the end result was going to be. And so the Bible says, a lot of versions say despising the shame. I think it's better to say disrespecting or disesteeming. In other words, he he just didn't count it at all. It was real, but it didn't mean anything to him because of what he was accomplishing. Jesus gained a vindication from a wrongful verdict that had been issued against him by the sinful human court and a declaration of his righteousness. He was vindicated from being the object of God's wrath. I'm not sure I should bring Rob out to pronounce his name. Gerhardus Voss who was the professor of biblical theology at Princeton, many people will call him the father of reform theology, wrote this, Christ's resurrection was a de facto declaration of God in regard to his being just. His quickening or coming to life bears in itself the testimony of his justification. God, through suspending the forces of death operating on him, Declared that the ultimate, the supreme consequence of sin had reached its termination. In other words, resurrection had annulled the sentence of condemnation. Your sentence, my sentence of condemnation had now been annulled because Jesus had bore the sin. But when he rose from the dead, all of that was gone. All of that. was When Jesus walked out of that tomb, he didn't walk out with any sin, any encumberments. He just walked out in victory and vindicated by his father. Paul writes in Romans 1 that he was declared to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Declared. So that brings us to the power of his Resurrection. I must say that we we cannot, in our finite minds, we cannot totally comprehend what it means to live in the power of his resurrection. But Paul writes, he said, that I want to know him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So I believe that it is possible by the Spirit of God for us to know the power of his resurrection. We know that our old self, was crucified with him, our old self, our old man, our old sinful man, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. May I say to you today that we do not have to be encumbered by or enslaved by sin anymore. Now, we live in a a fleshly body, and so we deal with flesh. We deal with fleshly uh, temptations, but we do not have to. Have to is the operative word here. Without Christ and without the power of his resurrection, without the power of his Holy Spirit, you don't have any ability. Not only do you not have any ability, you don't have any motivation to resist fleshly temptations. But with, with God residing within you, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You have that ability. And you can gain the victory. Here's your verse that you should memorize or you should put it on your bathroom mirror or both. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now, everybody say now. The life life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And this line is great. He gave himself for me. Crucified with Christ. I have laid myself down. Romans 6 says we've been baptized and we've been buried with him in death so that our old man does no longer govern us. Our sinful nature no longer governs us. Oh, yeah, it's there. It's it's nagging. Paul said, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Oh, wretched man that I am. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? You know, there was an imagery was that you would, if you killed someone or whatever, they would tie the body to you and you'd drag that body around wherever you went. I'm sure it got smelling real good after a few days. But you had a reminder of your guilt. And Paul is using that imagery and saying that we have won the victory. But even still, Romans chapter 7, even still, the greatest apostle, who ever lived, gave us two-thirds of the New Testament said, every time I want to do something, I don't do it. And the things that I don't want to do, I wind up doing. Why? Because he still struggles with his flesh. But he said, who's going to deliver me from this body of death, from this flesh? Therefore, Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now, everybody say now again. You didn't say again. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Simon says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to, even though you struggle with that flesh, there's no condemnation because you're in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus means you're in the work that he did. You're in his salvation. You're in his forgiveness. You're in his mercy. And again, Romans 6 says we were buried with him in baptism. We were buried in him and we were, we were joined with him in his death. And therefore, we have been joined with him in his resurrection. And we have been raised to newness of life. Let me just tell you, you could not, I could not be raised to newness of life except that Jesus walked out of that tomb. Except that Jesus not only was raised from the dead that day, he's still alive today. He took our sin as his sin. So that we could take his righteousness as our righteousness. It's a good exchange, isn't it? We got the better end of the deal. Y'all know that. And here, look, watch this. We're no longer subject to the devil. People, don't, let me just tell you, don't walk around afraid of the devil. I watch people all the time afraid afraid of this afraid of that afraid afraid of fear John writes this the reason the son of god appeared was to destroy the works of the devil Now I want to ask you a very simple question do you think Jesus came to earth to become a failure <laughs> He can he didn't come to earth to become a failure and he did not fail at anything that god sent him to do if that's true and you just said it's true, then Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, which meant what? What does that mean? He destroyed the works of the devil. I, I may be fat, but I'm slow. I get it. He destroyed the works of the devil. What? What, what is the one of the main works of the devil? Every one of those. And you can sum them up with the word sin to encumber us and to enslave us to sin. What did what did God say, Eve? Did God really say that? God's just afraid you're going to be like him. If you take that partake of that tree, he's just afraid you're going to be like God. Works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy that. You're no longer subject to the devil. And, and the, here's another thing about living in the power of his resurrection. That is that we are empowered to live by the Holy Spirit. Without the resurrection of Christ, you wouldn't have that empowerment. Watch what watch what it says. We just read it earlier, but I'll read it again. David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. Being therefore, now you know, when you see a therefore, you got to find out what it's Therefore, David foresaw the resurrection of Christ being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He resurrected. He's exalted to the throne of God and out. From out of heaven comes the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon all mankind, fulfilling the prophecy in Joel 2. Peter said, this is that. You know what Joel said back then? This is that. And why is, why is that this? Because David said he spoke of the resurrection of Christ. And because of the resurrection of Christ, you and I have the empowerment, Acts 1-8, if you're taking notes, we have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit To help us in this Christian life. Not only help us, but to give us the ability to fulfill the mission. Living in the power of his resurrection. Is living your life standing again and again and again ad infinitum. As the old Cajun said in the movie, The Waterboy, you can do it. You can do it. How is it that you can do it? I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. That's how you can do it. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Thank you, Bill Gaither. Because he lives. You get up every day. And as we sung about this morning, one day, for those of us who are, who have gone on, one day, the Bible says that we will come out of that grave. Our, our former residents will come out of that grave or wherever it is. You might be some ashes scattered on the ocean. It doesn't matter. It says that in the twinkling of an eye, I saw an article one time that you did a word study on that. And the, and the twinkling word, the word twinkling is the same thing as the splitting of an atom. A-T-O-M, not my son. <laughs> splitting of an atom. In other words, that fast. I can't even snap my fingers that fast. That fast, you will gain a whole new body, no flesh, incorruptible body. And you would join Jesus. Now how and when all that takes place. You know I'm not going to get into it. My eschatology is simply. Hanging on to the plow. And him finding me so doing when he comes back. How he comes back. Where he comes back. That's his business. I want my hands on the plow. So doing. Living in the power. Of his resurrection. I tell you, we need one more song, Don. I know I didn't warn you. We need one more song. And while, while they're coming, I want to read you this poem. We know Isaac Watts. We know all, all the songs that Isaac Watts wrote and, and some of the greatest hymns we've ever sung. We probably never sung this one. This is the day the Lord hath made. Now, we used to sing a chorus That we sung so much I got tired of it. This is not that one. Look at these words. He wrote in 1719. Today he rose and left the dead. And Satan's empire fell. Today his saints, his triumph spread. And all his wonders tell. We celebrate a great day today. We should celebrate, and we do, this resurrection all year long. But it is right for us to set aside a day, a special day, to particularly focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ so that you and I can live in the power of his resurrection, not be enslaved to sin, but understand and be grateful for the mercy that he has shown toward us. So as the worship team sings this one more song, you may have never accepted the Lord Jesus as your Savior. You may never have begun your journey with Jesus. Today be a good day for that. Today be a great day for that. You may need to just do some business with God, whether it be where you are or, or the steps have now become the altar. Whatever may be the case, let these few moments, let God work in your heart and respond to what God is doing in your heart. Let's stand and join the worship team as they lead us in this song.
1: Excited. Let's sing this. Mm-hmm.
0: Today is a day that we revel in the work that you have done. We are grateful. We are thankful. And we rejoice in your name. We exalt your name. And forever and ever and ever we will give praise to your name. For the work that you have done and the work that we live in today. Lord Jesus. That you were willing to to come to earth as a little child, as a little infant. You were willing to become like one of us so that you could die for all of us. You were willing to allow the condition of humanity to become your condition so that you could pay the price on that cross. But we're really glad that that's not the end of the story. But we're really glad that Sunday did come and that you did walk out of that tomb that you were resurrected from a lifeless state until fully being fully energized by the power of the holy spirit and we live in that power today thank you lord jesus we will continue to celebrate you and to celebrate your life and your resurrection lord god thank you for this time together please accept our worship as as a sacrifice to you and acceptable in your sight. And we pray in the name of Jesus and everybody said Amen. amen.